Hello and welcome to the Educate Norfolk podcast. Thank you very much again for joining us. My name's Jonathan Rice. I'm the head at Caster Infant and Junior Schools and I'm joined again by Sarah here at St Williams. Hello, Sarah. Morning, Jonathan. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm still, you know, still testing negative. I'm That's okay. wonderful to hear. And uh, before we introduce our special guest today, I'm looking forward to talking to you uh, very much. Uh, how's your week been? It's been okay, as we've talked about before. It's a funny, normal, of um, quite mundane in some ways because our systems are working well, our processes are working well. I don't get to see much of children, which I find quite disappointing. I sort of wave at them through windows. Um, but actually, a slight sort of sense of waiting for something to happen that mm. we hope never happens. So, yeah, it's been good. Um, it's been nice to engage with other people across the school system. So we had a schools forum meeting this week, which we'll come back to in a minute. And it's just nice to re-engage with some of your peers in that context. But, yeah. Going really well. Okay, so still no, still no positive tests. That's good. No. We had oh, we had one member of staff this week who went for a test on Monday, and the result, the other tests have been coming through much quicker this week, uh, the last couple of weeks, haven't they? But this test result didn't come back till Thursday morning. So all of that time, I think a lot of people in school were fairly convinced that was going to happen. That was going to be the nursery blown out of the water, and we were just waiting for that. But then of course it came back negative. Phew. But our friend Glenn up the road at Stellan, I think, has has a positive. Uh, uh, test this week and I was really pleased to see in his school community the parents mm. particularly reacting in a positive and supportive way. We had way, um, so one very close to here in one of our local um, cluster schools yeah. and very similarly it was early on no one else across the county had had one and the positive reaction from the community was really really strong. Trust in the school, confidence in the school and no sense of panic at all. That's good, absolutely. Okay so you mentioned school forum a minute ago now there's some big, one of these big financial decisions coming, isn't it? Uh, we got yeah, to, quite we, a lot. We've got to concentrate hard here, boys and girls, on the numbers. Here we no, go. No, no, I won't be quoting too many numbers. So okay. the, um, it's the usual annual process of consultation that's going out, and that opens today. It's a three-week window, and it is absolutely vital that schools and schools leaders engage with it. Um, when it's the local authorities' consultation, not schools' forum, but then we receive the results, and this year we've asked for them to be analysed to the nth degree so we know exactly size, scale, type of school academy who are saying what and there's some really big decisions to make as they usually are so as you will remember from previous years schools forum has the right to move money from the schools block into the high needs block and it has done that over the last few years because the high needs block has been under so much pressure um, so two years ago we moved the 0.5 percent we can move and then the local authority applied to the government to move another one percent last year when budgets were really tight for all of us we moved the 0.5, but we asked that the local authority did not apply for any more, and they didn't. So that's the situation we've got to. However, right across the country, and I have to say it is across the country, just not Norfolk issue, the high needs block continues to be massively overspent. And even if we give our 0.5, and even if they um, apply for another 1%, the five-year projections on that are disastrous looking and that includes the huge 120 million pounds which our county council colleagues have given to support high needs in Norfolk. So as I say it's not just a Norfolk issue but the figures were very very stark this week and um, the consultation is around whether forums moves that 0.5, whether we support the local authority moving another 1%. However the reality is that some money is going to have to go and prop that up but what the figures say is even if we do all of that even if schools give that money, 
in five years' time, the, the bottom line still looks really, really challenging. So um, there's a meeting in November with the Department of Education to look at Norfolk's high needs block recovery plan, which I'll be part of. Um, and actually, the reality of that conversation is whatever we do, it's not going to be enough. So it was quite depressing. It's a very healthy um, discussion. The forum's well established now. It's got really savvy members that all you know express their points of view very clearly. Um, however, you know, in a way, it's reassuring to know it's not just a Norfolk issue, but then that's a real concern because it means the whole funding model is just not right at the moment. So that consultation will be coming out today, today, yeah. which is Friday, so we're yep. Friday second, the 2nd of October. And it's so. a three-week window, and okay. it's always disappointing how few people respond. Yeah. People talk about it, um, people you know moan about it, but actually don't always respond. And we can't, as forum, make the right decision on behalf of the school community unless we have those voices. And like I say, sometimes they might have a finance officer of an entire mat with hundreds or thousands of children in it, replying with one answer and what we're going to be much better at this year is knowing who's given the answers and how many children they represent. I have to say as a fellow head teacher it does help having you as a friend explaining it to me. Perhaps okay. we need to But I, I, I've gone through the consultation a couple of times, I've gone back with questions, we've got a very clear grid in it so we're hoping that even for people who don't like the numbers quite as much as I do <laughs> that it will be easy to understand and the other thing is it's got the list of all the schools for us members as an appendix. So if you want to know any more, please do get in touch with us. The most important thing is you're making informed decisions and not guessing. Okay, right, time to welcome our guest today. Really, really pleased to welcome um, MP for Norwich North. I hope I have that right. Chloe Smith. Hello, Chloe. Thank you very much for asking me on. So right, as one uh, constituent MP, we think it's really important, as you know, to keep really close relationship with you, and we're always delighted when you have the time to come and join us here at St Williams. So yeah, thank, thank you, thank you for asking me again today, Sarah. It's it's great to work with you as well. And can I actually just really back up what you've been saying there about the consultation? Because actually, St Williams and you know Norfolk is lucky to have a head like you and you, Jonathan, who are encouraging people to take part in those kind of things and showing that leadership, because that's how it gets done. So it's it's great for me also to be able to work alongside you. We're trying to get the best out of those things. Thank you. We are systems people, aren't we? We are, indeed. Beyond our schools and for the best of all the children of Norfolk is our intent, I think. Yeah, thank absolutely. Um, thank you for those kind words. So, how's things for you at the moment as an MP in the middle of all this? It's been an incredibly difficult and really busy year so far. So, one of the, one of the core things that an MP always does is they're there to answer questions from their constituents, yeah. whether that's people about schooling or education issues like for example people asking recently about oh how can I get a test you know if I have a symptom and my child's supposed to be in school you know all those kind of questions um, but of course absolutely everything else in public services as well and of course people have been really worried quite understandably about just everything in everyday life mm -hmm. this year so um, as an MP you're there trying to answer all those questions trying to give out information trying to be a bit of a hub in the community trying to do all those things um, as well as the duties in Westminster itself, where we've got to be able to try to be sensible about how we're doing the laws and the regulations that are governing things at this time, as well as everything else, because of course you still need to run the rest of the country and the rest of all those issues. So to be honest with you, busy doesn't even cover it. Um, and and it's been really, that's really tough. That is really hard professionally and personally, because you've 
you've just got to keep yourself above water in the midst of all that and sure. try to help all your, all your constituents. I think at the moment, you know, obviously our world is very different from yours, but it's been equally bizarre, busy, unusual, unprecedented, whatever you want to call it. But actually there's also this sort of, I don't know, it feels like a, like a mantle around your neck all the time, that even normal life is not easy at the moment for anybody, is it? So you've got a young family, that must add to the complications of it. You know, we're trying to run schools and also sustain ourselves as people. And, and you know, it, there's lots going on. It's great to be distracted. I think I, I was very pleased I wasn't locked down because that would have driven me crazy. I've had stuff to think about all the time. But trying to find headspace and trying to find a place that is just not overwhelming is tricky at the moment. It really is. You're absolutely right. I made a little list for myself actually the other day of the ways in which this year has been so strange, and and, and what that you know what that meant to me personally, and, and in the various bits of my work. Um, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you know, goodness, life certainly goes on. As you say, I've got a got an 18 month old and a and a just turned four year old, and um, between them, they had us up all hours this week. Um, so there's never been enough sleep in our household, and um, we're feeling those effects on top of everything else. But we have to. Uh, one of the things I'm thinking is that what comes out of all of this for me, and we'll talk a bit more about this in schools context, is humanity. You know, we are all humans and the basic need for us to survive as human beings and to feel safe and be safe and be healthy is actually the most important thing. Every time I send an email, I hope this finds you safe and well. Nothing else. You know, that's the most important thing. And I think it's really important whatever role we're playing, one as vital as yours, that we still say, how are you? You know, that's a really important thing. I think that's right. And actually, I'd extend that as well. I think... There's some points about basic basic courtesy that we all do well to remember at times like this. Yeah. We we do need to take a bit of care of each other. And you're, it's great that you you write your emails like that. You know, well well done you. Um, unfortunately, in my role and probably at, at times in yours as well, you can still see plenty of people actually who let their worries or anxieties or aggression get the better of them. Mm. Um, and it's just a time like no other to make sure to be as constructive as we can. I think in politics and understanding the the difficulties of the decisions and and you know, we in politics, I hope I can say, will always do our part by trying to um, reflect what we've got to do as closely as we can to what people really need and the stresses that, that you know, those that we work for are under. Um, but it's all it's got, all got to cut two ways and we've all got to look out for each other, haven't we? I've seen you in quite a lot of your social media doing some really normal things, like you're picking, picking up litter the other day, and actually I thought... Good on you, because actually that might be the thing that tips somebody over the edge, that in their local park, somebody's, you know, fly tipping or something like that. And actually, lots of people aren't worried about policy decisions and around things that aren't affecting them. Actually, matters the moment is that I can go for a walk and live in a, you know, a litter-free community might be the key thing just for that moment for that person. True enough. Can I take you, Chloe, just before we start talking about sort of current issues, and I think we'd like to talk about the future a little bit more, wouldn't we, um, as well, certainly. I think we... We'd all like to know what the future holds, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we just? <laughs> well, um, could you just run through your, your sort of how you've got to the position that you're in at the moment? I think everybody knows that you were you were the youngest MP. I was, yes, I was. Uh, I'm now at not. one I'm point, now, but I'm you're now, now not. Isn't there a twenty-three-year-old MP? Isn't there? She was younger. She was really young. Isn't she? I was a, I was a very very young. a veteran at the age of twenty-nine. Right. <laughs> Actually, no, sorry, 20, 27, I think. Um, yeah, so, what's so, you, so you started in Norfolk, though. you're from Norfolk, aren't you? And I, I happen to know this, I should just declare an interest here, because how Norfolk is this, my dad taught you at he school. Did. He did, and I've just walked in this morning and said, oh, you must be the son of Mr Rice. Is that Mr Rice? Mr. Rice. <laughs> and of course you never know the first name until yeah. years later, and, and now I realise that Mr Rice has another Mr Rice. That was him. Both of you yeah. have been her teachers, so you must be proud right. in your family. 
Yes, that was him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I um, I have a great soft spot for, for the then Mr Rice, as I knew him. Um, <laughs> but although, actually, I will also add to that, my mum was a teacher at the same school. So my yes. mum will laugh to hear this. Yes. I don't think she knows. That. As will my dad when I, yeah. play in the, uh, um, when I play in the podcast. Uh, having a parent at your school, though, is, of course, no fun at all. Yeah. <laughs> I know that too. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I grew up in West Norfolk. Uh, so that was Methorpe High School, where, yeah. where I crossed over with, with your dad. Um, I had a very happy time growing up, was, was really blessed with you know, a wonderful, loving family and, and lots of lovely people around me. Um, uh, I started getting interested in politics around that time, actually, the, the sort of later, later years of high school, um, because I started. I started just thinking as a, as a teenager, as you do in rural Norfolk, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I can't do anything, there's no buses, I can't see any of my friends, I'm bored. And you know, you tell me if there aren't at this very moment hundreds of teenagers saying exactly, <laughs> exactly. the same thing yeah, yeah. In, in rural Norfolk. Um, not everybody does, and, and, and that's cool too. Um, but I, I just took the turn of, turn of mind to think, well, actually, I could try and change that. You know, I could try and do something about that, and I could try to... Uh, get together with other young people in the area who think the same and maybe together we'll have enough force of numbers to get the bus company to change its mind and to put on a yeah. service or something like that. And, and actually that was the beginning of it all. That was the, the little spark really that said, okay, there is, there is such a thing as you know, working together to get something changed. And there is such a thing as public service, which is all about that. You, know, you, you, you try and change things rather than just let them go past. Um, and then in the course of that, I got to know my local MP, who was Gillian Shepherd at the time, probably also known to lots of your yeah. listeners. Um, and she's been a fabulous role model, and still is, um, uh, a wonderful woman, very, very kind, very thoughtful, as well as really able to have, you know, got to the top of her game and, and, and I hope done important things from there. Um, and she just gave me that idea, well, you know, maybe you could do this too. So I, so I, I followed the path, um, which uh, took me... Um, down a few lucky turns, actually, of being in a position then quite early in life, age 27, as I say, um, of being elected in a by-election uh, in uh, Norwich North. Brilliant to be able to represent where you're from as well, actually, to be a, an MP in Norfolk where you grew up. Absolutely. And that was the first time you'd stood. It was. Because for a so, lot of your colleagues, they would have been round all sorts of unlikely seats and then got a more likely one, isn't that right? That's true. So, but as you, I say, I had a, had a bit of a lucky turn. I, I won't deny that. Um, and uh, But then, as in all things, actually, when you have your you have your lucky turn it's then up to you what you make of it and so 11 years later as I say with a few more grey hairs now um, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I'm uh, hoping I now have my head head screwed on and uh, able to you know, get get things done for, for constituents which I, I still always think of as my number one um, um, uh, and also be contributing in, in Westminster um, in, in a way that you, you can when you've yeah. got a few other years under your belt and you've had one or two ministerial roles I'm the minister for the constitution Yes, I, I yes, I looked that up. Obviously, I read about your Wikipedia before we started talking. But I didn't really know what that was. Is that about that's about is that about devolution and? Well, yes, but you know, funnily enough, at, at times like this, actually, here is a time when you really hope your constitution works, don't you? Yeah. As a country, you know, when a country is under under pressure, and there's no denying that that over the last few years of politics, we've been all over all over different issues, haven't yeah. we? And actually, what you need is you need stability as a country of your constitution because then once you've got confidence in that the rest works mm. you know the rest works you can have public services you can have great schools mm. you can have hospitals that do what we all need them to do you can have um jobs and prosperity and opportunity but actually you can only have those things if underneath it all 
someone like me and a few colleagues trying to do our best to make sure that the constitution itself is stable and works. But this so year has been um, a huge challenge to that, has it? It has been because things have, it, I use the word unprecedented, most overused word, but it's true. And actually, <laughs> we've needed people to make decisions on our behalf very quickly, very suddenly, potentially missing out some of the process that maybe some of us would like to be there, or, you know, and that's come up recently. But actually, where there's, you know, we need confidence in those decisions and we need to know that whatever the, the constitution says or doesn't say, that's the best thing for our country at yeah. this moment. And that's what's been hard to sustain, isn't it, over the last few months. It's been, you know, we all did what we were told in March, didn't we? Mm. Absolutely. And, and brilliantly, I would have to say, as a country. But since then, when we've got different views and opinions and science is saying slightly different things, that must be tricky in that sense of the constitution holding fast must have been challenged this year. You're, you're absolutely right on that, Sarah. And, and actually, I mean, at a technical level, there's a way that you, you handle that. You know, you have a category of thing that is known as emergency laws, and you, you can do things a bit differently with those, you know, strictly in emergencies than you would in the normal normal course of things. Um, and and as, as you say, you're rightly to say, people, I think, had a you know an understanding of that and maybe even a desire for that sort of at the early stage. We just, we all knew, didn't we, as a country, that we actually just had to pull together and, and, and get some things get some things done um and i i mean i am i'm in such admiration actually of 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 everybody in the country who really has done that and stuck with that and and really i'm sure all of us would have to say that the core message now is still can we focus like that because we need to be able to see this through don't we and the more we the more we keep that discipline now the more the quicker we'll get out of it the other side um but you're right sarah you know that has all been um you know a very great stress and strain on on all of us as a country hasn't it um and, um, and we're probably not through it yet. No. The reason I mentioned the uh, the constitution thing and said I didn't quite understand what that, we haven't got a constitution, have we? Well, indeed. We haven't so got a written constitution. That's right, we have a... And I mentioned devolution because I was just wondering about where the pressure was perhaps on in terms of uh, the other devolved nations. And is that part of your role? I was just trying to get my head around what you were... Yes, it is. Yeah, that's right. right. So the slightly longer title is, is the constitution and devolution. Right, OK. Um, are the, things I, the things I take care of. Um, so, you're, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and of course, education is probably a quite good example of this, isn't it? Because you have, um, you have uh, four different systems going mm. on across the UK covering how people go to school. So if you were speaking to a kid in Belfast and a kid in uh, Cardiff and a kid in Edinburgh, they'd have an entirely different experience mm. to, to, you know, to, to children at this school. Um, well, not entirely different, but that's, that's an exaggeration. But the certainly language yeah, in education yeah. is very different, isn't it? Absolutely. In terms of the structures of the assessment processes yeah. and those sorts. So those things are things where it's it's right and proper to be able to have local decisions being made. That's what devolution is. Um, but again, the, uh, the, the the stresses and strains of this year have also shown us that there's a lot of things we need to do together as a UK. And if you look on, for example, the economy side, you know it, it really is only as a result of the size and strength of the union of the United Kingdom that we've been able to do things like the furlough scheme. You, know, you wouldn't really have had one of those sort of on its own, for example, in just Northern Ireland or just Scotland or just Wales or just England. You know, together we, we were able to do that. So those are the kind of issues I deal with okay. in Westminster. Okay. Bit of a political geeky question that really, wasn't it? Right. We ought to get back to no, that. that stuff. Yeah, I know we do, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm, not sure all, I'm not sure all our listeners do. I don't know. Perhaps they'll tell us. But, <laughs> um, but we've just, uh, obviously, we've, we've been lucky enough, Sarah and I, to have come down to Westminster on a few occasions and you and we've met with some of the other Norfolk MPs who've been kind enough to meet us and I think always in the past we've nagged you about funding generally when we've had the opportunity to and, I'm, uh, uh, and, and also I think accountability to some degree as well 
and actually that's been reciprocal because I think sometimes you've nagged us about accountability as well, quite rightly so, and held us to account for products results, such results, GCSE results and all the rest of it, I think. We also okay, we carry a huge amount of that public purse, don't we? We so do, absolutely. It's about the, the outcomes for young people have got yeah. to be. You know, I always think of my friends who don't work in education, every penny of tax they pay is, is you know, I'm responsible for spending yeah. their money on doing the best I can for the children in our community, and I absolutely. think that's a huge responsibility. But now we t- it just it feels really hard. Sarah and I've said several times on the on in the current circumstances, it's really hard to think about anything else, isn't it, than the current circumstances. But if we could just try and look forward a little bit, I mean, where on earth are we with funding now? You used to be a treasury minister, I think, didn't you? What, what what will they be saying in the treasury about? I mean, there are just you know eye-watering amounts of money have been spent on the current. Um, situation haven't they Where, where's that going to leave us when we emerge from all this and, and as i alluded to earlier in the consultation which we referred to actually some of the ways our funding not necessarily just talking total pots we're talking the way the pots are organized mm-hmm. and some of the legislation for example around um, the scn review that's been delayed because of covid which actually was helping to unpick why that spending is happening there's other things that could have helped sort that and they've all been delayed because of the circumstances so in a year's time, you know, where will we be? And there'll be really tough decisions to make in government around funding, won't there, public funding? I think that's true. There's, there's no hiding away from this. You know, the, the fact is, and, and as I was just referring to, for example, there with the, you know, the size of the furlough scheme mm. and, 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 and other things besides this year, the extent of that public spending has been huge. And Sarah, you're absolutely right, by the way, to always, at all times, we have to remember that there isn't such a thing as government money. It's people's money mm. that has been pooled to try to, try to get the best mm. things. So um, that's not a bottomless pit, it can't be, um, which means that there are going to have to be, I'm sure, some very serious conversations ahead, and I think the Chancellor has been quite honest about the fact that that, that conversation is, is coming. He's also been quite, quite honest, I think, and, and admirably so, about, about actually the limits of what government can achieve at a time like this. You know, it, he's, he's said he's done his best to protect every job, but actually he can't save every job, and I think it's, it's sometimes right to be honest um, like that. So I, I hope that spirit of, of, of openness actually about, about what we now face as a country um, will, will hold. Um, and I think it would be good if people um, wanted to join in that conversation. Um, you know, it's a, it's a very obvious time for people to, to be able to express their views actually about, about how do you want to, to, to strike those balances into the future. Um, the, the, the points coming up to do that, I mean, traditionally, obviously in politics you have a annual budget and you have ways of sort of vehicles of putting all those decisions on we're, we're doing uh, that in a slightly unusual way I mean as we say everything this year is unusual isn't it but um, but but um, we'll be back into a, a series of decisions like that sooner or later, soon, soon, sooner than all. and obviously there was a pending spending review which is bigger than budgets yes. isn't it as a whole strategic direction of spending yes. and that's also another thing that's been understandably there's a criticism of that but that just leaves the, the future a bit more uncertain because that will happen at some point, won't it? And, and it hasn't happened yet. And well, actually, it's happening at the moment, Sarah. So, so actually, yeah, in, in, inside the Treasury, you know, deep in, deep in the basement, <laughs> they are beavering away, um, putting all those numbers together. Yeah. That's, that's but in away. a very, you know, even for them, yeah. it must be an almost impossible job because there's so many unknowns as to what the next few Well, they can't know what the numbers are, can they? Yeah. I mean, we don't know how long no. we're going to be like this, do we? Don't get us depressed. It's true. There's, there's, a, there's a number of uncertainties, but 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 you're you're also really right there to draw out a point about about um you know in the jargon multi-year funding. Mm-hmm. In other words, how do you take a look across the long term as best you can to to try to get mm-hmm. things right um, instead of just going year to year. And so, I totally agree that transparency thing because actually we all know full well no no one's got a crystal ball at this point. 
nobody can see what's coming down the line, but pointing out what all the pressures are going to be and the collective responsibility for that, I think, is, you know, hopefully then take people with you to understand decisions that are made. Well, can I, can I just make a link there, actually? There's, there's something that I think schools do a really great job at, and I know, I know you do it here and lots of other local um, primary schools as well as secondary schools do this, and, and that's actually getting people into the, into the idea of school councils. You know, here's where it links up. That's not just a theoretical idea. Yeah. It's incredibly practical. If you can get children as young as, you know, 10 and 11 thinking about, here's a little pot of money, shall I spend it on, you know, supporting mm. a litter pick or shall I spend it on having different biscuits at break time? You know, uh, I'm, I'm using light-hearted examples. I'm not trying to poke fun at it. Um, all of that sets in train a, a way of thinking that actually these are decisions that have to be made. Who's going to make them? Why shouldn't I be part of making them? I hope the 11-year-old might think to himself. Um, and then I've got to be accountable back to my other mates for how I made them. And that is, that is what's and, and also, I don't know if you remember from when you've been here before, we have an unusual school council system where uh, the younger children find school council meetings quite tricky. So we have advocates from older classes yeah. that go to their class meetings and are their advocates. And the idea you might have to be selfless in those spending decisions, or you could be selfish, or it could affect everybody, is also part of that. So having the older children, and it's very tricky for us at the minute, we're not able to do it at this moment, the older children involved with the younger children has given them a, a, a great oversight of actually I can make a decision that I gain, don't gain from in any way that can still be the right decision to make. So participate in democracy is the answer not just I'm guessing for the children but also for people who work in sectors like education and, and all of the other sectors that public finances. Um, if we does, does that mean, I'm getting a sense then from that, that that's still very much up for grabs, what that future economic direction might be? I, th um, I think it's been, I think it is open, yeah. It, yeah. Is, it is open. I mean, you said yourself, you know, we, we, we can't really, any of us, sit here and, and explain what next year is going to be like. Yeah. Um, so, therefore, it is pretty hard for the Chancellor to do his part of that. Um, but I know he's, I know he's, he's doing his utmost to... Um, uh, you know, steer stage by stage. And I think okay. that's really the way he's playing it. Okay. So nothing immediately uh, appearing out of the crystal ball about <laughs> what our finances might look like. Well, and I suppose the other in, interesting in thing is that this isn't really the time to be making other sort of structural and systemic changes, is it? Mm. I don't think anyone's really got the, mm. the heart for that moment. One of the things that I'm fascinated in, and I'm a bit geeky, is the whole idea of one-tier and two-tier local government and the proposals for that. And some people say... Don't go near that now. We can't do that at this moment. But actually, that could have a fundamental change in the way mm. schools are managed at the sort of higher level around local authorities or district councils and that sort of thing. And those are the sort of things. We seem to be putting a lot of things on hold as a country, totally understandably, that might actually make a difference for people down the line. And I just find those things fascinating. Is to, we can't, you know, business as usual is the world of COVID at the minute, isn't it? Business as usual as in being... Um, you know, having great big long-term strategic direction is, is really tough, isn't it? Yeah, um, but I think there's a, a I think there's a counter argument maybe to um, uh, you know you, you might argue that well you you should sort of shy away from the big decisions because you can't take them yet. But actually, I think there's a counter argument to that, which is um, you've got an opportunity of openness where people are interested in finding something different mm -hmm. afterwards, and, and I suspect that a lot of that might be true if you. Boil it down with people, they, they, they realise that there's an opportunity now to do things a bit differently or to, to build it back better, to build it back better afterwards. And the message I always get from you when you speak to our children is about being a participant mm. in, you know, in collectivity. 
I mean, one thing's come out of all of this, isn't it? The sense of community. You know, that to me is something I would hate us to lose, and it's already beginning to slip. But actually, in the middle of April, I don't think I've ever felt such strong community spirit in our country, regardless of political point of view or anything. And let's, you know, if one thing comes out of it, participate, discuss, disagree, but let's do it together and, and you know, and get something better. I, I totally agree, Sarah, and, and I, I, I can't go through this podcast without paying tribute, actually, to what I know you and other teachers were doing at the height of it all. You know, you told me you were you were going um, effectively door to door with 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 many children uh, or for many children for many many families, and I know so many other schools were doing the same. And there's an extraordinary achievement hiding behind that, and teachers deserve to be thanked for that. I think we all, as a profession, need to hear that because it, people have risen to the challenge. And um, you know, there's there's a few examples of not, but they're tiny and far between. And actually, our staff team here, as I know, Jonathan's, it's just been right. What's our job? Let's get on with it. Let's do it as well and as positively. And the most important thing for me is always the atmosphere and culture in the school. If the staff didn't want to be here or were anxious about being here, children would, would sense that. And that's just not what's happened at all. It's been, it's genuinely delighted to be back in all school because this is what we do. This yes. is what we're good at. Yes. Now, Sarah, I need to clear my throat at this point, but I hear you're testing people's coughs. Can you explain oh, well, to me? <laughs> I didn't actually say that, Chloe, but I don't quite know how that came about. What we don't want is anyone who's got a slight tickle like you've just had to feel they can't come to school. Exactly, I know, in front of the EDP. And the picture I told them they couldn't use. I told them to delete that photo. Basically, what we're trying to say is we want children in school, and we want them in school safely. So what we don't want is, we know a temperature, tick a box, they've got a temperature. We know if they've lost their sensitivity, not, but the cough issue is really tricky. And it's long and sustained and new and different, not someone who has a dry throat or someone who has asthma. I didn't say that, and I haven't even read it because I didn't want to go there. Somehow I didn't expect to be on the front of the newspaper saying I listened to coughs down the phone. Anyway, thank you for that, that Chloe. Absolutely hilarious. And I we Have ought you to read just... it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, what's hilarious is that Chloe has turned up with um with Coffee. the cutting, which she has triumphantly brandished from her folder halfway Thanks, through the podcast. So, Fabulous. Next time you want to visit Haskell? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say the arrangements here are thoroughly uh, COVID secure is the term we're using. Wow. I'm not ever really sure that you can't, can anything be COVID secure. That always no, sounds very hundred percent. Risk it? assessment is a balancing act, isn't exactly. It? And actually, the most important risk at the minute is for children's education. So we will do everything we can Absolutely. to maintain that. Yeah. If that does mean I have got the cleanest hands in the world. Interestingly, on that subject, we have discovered, well, actually, you discovered, didn't you, my little, uh, my little question last week. I was curious last week, Chloe, as to why, if we were putting all these measures in place in schools and they were effective in controlling coronavirus, the hand washing, the ventilation, the stagger start, why a cold had gone around the school like wildfire? Because if it was stopping that virus, why wasn't it stopping that virus, all these measures that we were putting in place? And Sarah found the answer. Did. You Can you remember it? Yeah, it's to do with it's fatty... Wrapped and non-wrapped yeah, viruses. Yeah, protein and fatty wrapped viruses. Yes. And so basically it doesn't mean we're not being COVID safe just because they're getting cold. No. It was so very fascinating. COVID, I can send it to you. So the COVID virus is wrapped effectively, so it's susceptible to hand washing and therefore will rinse away as you wash your hands. The cold virus is not and will continue to stick to you effectively. Yep. That, that'd be the kind That's of child's true. version, wouldn't it? Although I'm explaining it to you as a child's version. That's Sorry. brilliant. I'm just going to take that over to tell my four-year-old. I, I, I need it as a child's version. Fantastic. And that was the child's version. Yeah. There we go. So that was what we I learned last that. week. I learned something. Oh, One of the things my high school taught me was you learn something every day. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so there was one other thing we just wanted to bring up in this gazing into the future, and that's about the sort of whole quandary around school accountability. Yeah, I think there's been a really interesting programme on Radio 4, I don't know if either of you have caught that, with, uh, called Rethink, where they've just been looking at every sector and saying, well, well, how can we reimagine this and go forward from here in a better way? I think it's been fantastic. And, for, and our version of that would obviously be about accountability. There's a lot of pressure from the, um, in the secondary sector, isn't there, about GCSEs at the moment, and I think rethinking those. For us, I think there was, actually before the pandemic, there was um, a campaign called Ofsted. Which, yeah, it was. Um, so in January, we were in London, yeah. in a group of us. Yeah. Turned on, so that we were I, didn't, I can't remember why I didn't come. You forgot to book your ticket. Um, anyway. It would be something to do with being forgetful. <laughs> so we were, there was a um, teacher round table, and they were looking at saying to head teachers, please don't allow your staff to take class in Ofsted inspections as inspectors. Let's pause it, let's reevaluate. And obviously, that was literally weeks before lockdown. Um, so then Ofsted, very controversially in the print this term, has been going into schools, piloting initially and this week starting non-pilots. However, all the feedback I have seen from schools mm. locally and nationally through Twitter has been sitting with HMIs in your school and telling them what you've done and how it's been for you has been a thoroughly positive experience. I think sometimes because they're Ofsted and because of that huge weight of accountability we feel from them, they can't ever seem to get it right. And yet actually people are saying, I really benefited, I felt listened to, I felt I'd got experiences they hadn't got that they were taking on board. So, but next term, there's But next term, it's back to full inspections. And I think some of us feel a bit uneasy about how representative of what schools have actually done well in the last six months, nine months, as it will be then, that will be. So I just wondered if there's any mood in government. I suppose that's a difficult question to answer at the moment. There's a talking about lots of things at the moment. Is there any mood in government to look at that? This sort of whole rethink agenda, maybe not about Ofsted specifically, but that whole rethink agenda, is that, you know... Is it reflective what you say about the positivity around the yeah. schools have done? Because that's not what we see in the press. And yet, actually, we know, and you know, people with children know, we have been doing this. You'd better let you answer the question, then, Chloe. I, I think I'll answer <laughs> different bits of it as much as I can. Um, so, so I, I, first of all, I, th I think the... You know, the admiration for, for what teachers and schools have been able to do recently is absolutely widespread and, and, and universal. And I really want you to know that. Um, and I can tell you, actually, one, one particular way that that comes about is that, you know, what Parliament and Westminster consists of is 650 people like me, who I, you know, darn well also hope are sitting down with their great local head teachers and, and having this kind of conversation. And, of course, they have. So, actually, what, what we're all doing is, is going back and sort of pooling ideas about what our local schools have been doing and why it's impressive. So... There's definitely is that, that shared knowledge, which is important because it reflects every single part of the country. Um, and from there, then, I know that the education ministers are also closely aware of it because we're on their backs telling them, actually. We, you know, we as MPs do that. That's, that's absolutely what we're supposed to do. So, um, for example, Gavin Williamson was um, uh, taking questions in the Commons only um, this week about um, the, the skills announcements through Later Life, which came this week. Not so much of interest to primary schools, but but actually really good in their own right. So there's a lot, there is a lot of discussion and accountability and knowledge of, of what's going on in schools and the communities across the country. And that, that's as it should be. Um, I think it's clear from the overall kind of national program of what we're doing with 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 coronavirus and what we're trying to do for the country at the moment is that education is coming top. So you think of all of the other things that are being um, uh, uh, that are being um, done in a certain way so that we can maintain kids being in school. 
you know, and, and every almost everything the Prime Minister says has that running through as a core theme that we have to maintain education as our priority so that kids can get their education. And I think that's absolutely right because, as you I think touched on in an earlier bit of this conversation, actually, you know, the 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 um, risks to children of not being in school and what that will do for their later life, you know, are dreadful to think about. Actually, perhaps in yeah. in and, and merit being put up against the, the question of all, you know, what what is, what what else are we um, trying to battle at the moment? So all that together, what does that mean for um, Ofsted and for, for those questions? I mean, I think there is I think there is a keenness to see um, you know a return to Ofsted inspections because actually to do otherwise would risk letting kids down. You know, if you didn't have that assurance, if parents didn't have the assurance of a high quality education and a system that underpins getting that. Then I think there'd be some some other questions that, that would be asked. Um, personally, just reflecting on what you've what you've been saying here about you know having conversations with HMRs this this term, I think that must be time really well spent because let's say that's going on across the country this term and it, and it surely must be. Um, that means that that team of inspectors, the whole organisation of inspectors, are going to be much better aware come January and come next year of what the new baseline must surely be. What, what the new normal is, to use a terribly overused phrase. You, you couldn't, I'm sure, do a sensible inspection without some awareness and acknowledgement of what of how different 2020 you know, would have turned out to be. So I hope that actually those conversations this autumn are rippling themselves and that they then add up to getting um, inspections back to a more normal basis next year so that you, know, you can have confidence you're doing the right things and crucially parents and kids can as well. And all that comes against the background of a new inspection framework, which last September, bizarrely, was the most important thing in our yes. world. And um, we had an inspection under that framework, and it felt like it did respond more to other softer parts yeah. of schools. So the curriculum, as its broadest sense, everything we do, from our school councils through to SAS results, did feel like that was reflected. So the combination of that new framework and what they're learning at the moment, our best hope would be that that would come out with a maybe a more nuanced and sensitive approach um, to what they do next. Chloe, thank you so much for coming and joining us today. It's been a fascinating conversation. Um, We'll let you get on with the rest of your visits to the school. I think you're going to go and talk to some year six. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. I'm sure looking forward to it Thank you very much for having me. It's been really lovely to take part and um, thank you very much. That's Great. excellent. Thank you, Chloe. We're really grateful. And uh, so next week, we're looking forward to having a chat with Chris Snudden. Yeah. I believe. Our, are we going to get a name? Director of Learning and right Inclusion. Out? We've been practising that, Chris, since the last time. We mangled your job title on this podcast. Uh, so we look forward to talking to uh, Chris about the local authorities' uh, role during the pandemic and, and, looking into and the elsewhere. And looking into the future, into the, into the mists of the future and seeing if anything emerges indeed. Good, but uh, everybody, I hope you all have a good week and uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone.